Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget none of his benefits. Who pardons all your iniquities, heals all your diseases. Thank our God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and all that he's provided for us. As we sing together of his wondrous love. And uh, in some measure, we're going to go there this morning and speak to this as to what the Apostle Paul, writing under the direction of the Holy Spirit, has to tell us in Romans in chapter 12 and verse 9. You would need to be there. Uh, before we go there, that way, I want to read to you. We're going to pray. I'm going to give a prayer request. This comes off of the February prayer calendar. It's number four on there. Pray for the persecuted church. This is January 12, 2023, Sri Lanka. Church continues to bless persecutors. It says in 2000, Alicia Lumbius started sharing the gospel in an unreached area of Sri Lanka. Soon, 25 to 30 people gathered regularly with her. And so she and her husband, Anura, planted two churches in majority Hindu areas. Persecution has been constant in their lives. Villagers threw stones at their house during the night, some of which would crash onto the beds or tables. Aisha and her family had to sleep under the beds, under their beds, and their children slept with helmets on. Well, we didn't have to sleep with helmets on last night, but we have brothers and sisters in Christ in Sri Lanka who have such... Uh, difficulty and we pray for them and we pray for one another let's pray and then i'm going to read scripture to us so let's pray together our lord and god we give you thanks and praise for the lord jesus christ yes blessed we are all of these spiritual blessings that have been poured out upon us thank you thank you for the redemptive work of christ paying that price we could never have paid never 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 and thank you O oh lord for the propitiatory work that our savior did for us satisfying your wrath against sin and so that O oh lord we can therefore experience reconciliation with you thank you thank you and now god i ask that as we look into these words uh, you've revealed about love lord it's so huge it's a mountain too high for us to climb with these little nines we depend upon your Holy Spirit to enable us to breathe the atmosphere to which it takes us. We need your guidance as we think through the ways in which your love should be evident in our own lives, as we don't love as we should. And we, we pray that uh, your grace will now expand our uh, ability to love more like you. And we know that any love that we are able to bring forth, that it is because of your love for us as we've heard already in Scripture, and as we have sung together. And again, Lord, we pray for those who are not well, they're not with us. Some are hearing by social media, and we pray that wherever the word is going forward, that it will, the seed of the word will fall upon good ground, bring forth fruit. And now, Lord, we're mindful of our nation, the state we're in, Lord, only you and your grace to us. You said, well, as we have sung, God shed his grace on us. You have indeed, Lord. Oh, and we need, we need to have those resist the resistance necessary. Your church would be revived to provide 
the onslaught of evil that's marching across our land. So now, open our eyes, Lord, to see wonderful things from your law. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to read uh, several passages here. There is a connection, and you may wonder. At first, uh, you may, but if you will listen carefully, you will see that there is a cadence and that there is a flow through these scriptures that I'm about to read. And we're going to go right into Romans 12. But if you're in Romans 12 and verse 9, you're where you ought to be. But I'm going to begin with Romans 5 and verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. But because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I leap over at least uh, six, seven chapters. I would liken what we've read to sort of the headwaters on this issue of matter of love in the book of Romans. I went to my concordance and I looked up all the occurrences of love in the book of Romans. I wanted to see how it flowed. And what I was taken by was the fact that there, deeply embedded in the atoning work of Jesus Christ is the love of God manifest. And then this love comes to our attention by the apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12. Why does he do this? Why is he going to the lengths to express the importance of love to a fellowship of believers after he has spoken of the variety of gifts that have been distributed? All right, let's let, it, let the text speak to us. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the, is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by gra the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, 
and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if service, in our serving, the one who teaches, in his teaching, the one who exhorts, in his exhortation, the one who contributes, in generosity, the one who leads, with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Did you pick up that way in which I would see that we move over some important portions of the book of Romans. You see how the truth of God's love in Christ cascades on down to, shall I say, a waterfall that comes and just washes over us. And how are we to conduct ourselves and think about one another in the body of Christ? How? How should you be thinking about the person next to you? Well, it is taken in this one word. You'll notice in your outline that... uh, bulletin which uh, contains the outline and it says the the greatest thing in the world did you see it or the greatest of these is love and I need to bring us into where we ought to be right in the middle theologically of this passage I think the best place to begin would be to go to the crucifixion week it was Tuesday Tuesday of the crucifixion week the Lord knew what was coming. He knew exactly. The disciples seemed to be a bit clueless, to say the least. And so the Lord, um, he's uh, surrounded in a way, though not in any way, by any means a victim. On that Tuesday, he's peppered with questions. Somebody, they're, they're these, uh, I guess you maybe could liken them to a hostile press of the day. <laughs> these were the religious leaders. They were steeped in their Old Testament knowledge. Oh, were they ever. And they, and they knew it. <laughs> and they were always seeking to pull the rug out from under Jesus and his credibility. Oh, for example, there was one question with regard to uh, the resurrection. And they went to this uh, matter of the leveret law, that if a man dies, that Paris on his seed, he would marry his brothers. Uh, the, the wife would go to the next brother and so forth. Well, wh- whose wife would that be in the resurrection? <laughs> they thought, hey, gotcha. I'm not going to resolve these now. I'm simply leading up to another one. <clears throat> and then on another occasion, Jesus quotes uh, something from Psalm 110 with regard to who he is and his authority to forgive sin. And they want to know, by what authority you do these things? Who do you think you are? Well, all right. He, he handles them well. You can read it in the text on another occasion. But then uh, there was a, pol- you're always going to get a political question. There was a political question that was asked. Hey, you had a coin loose? Whose face do you see on the coin? Where there's Caesar's. And what do we do? Do we pay our taxes? How can we be loyal to God and loyal to Caesar? Well, Jesus took care of that one really well. And then um, coming back to this one, uh, coming to this one, actually, 
You know, they had calculated 613 commands in the Old Testament. Somebody did that without a concordance, too. They could come to it, and they were, they were right on it. And when Jesus said, hey, could you tell us what's the greatest commandment? Oh, now, I know we sit here in these comfortable seats about 2,000 years later and say, hey, I got that one. Well, they were divided in their loyalties to what was the greatest commandment. They argued over these, sort of like how many angels could sit on the head of a needle. And, uh, and uh, they wanted to get him. And if they could just get him to do something that would say something that would, that would undermine the authority of Moses. Oh, Moses. He was huge in Israel's theological and uh, actually historical on earth history. And so they thought they could really get him there. And Jesus just with such ease. And we, are, we think, hey, I could, have, I could have done that, really. What he did is that he took what they did twice a day. Shema Israel, Abaday, Yahweh. And to go on with this twice a day. They even had it in a phylactery on the head. You know the phylacteries where they put them in on the forearm? It was there in, on papyrus. So here's what Jesus said. We know the greatest commandment here, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. How about that for a neat package? <laughs> it was loaded. Now, I'm going to take a great leap forward as to we go to this Romans situation, which I read to you. Romans 5, the reconciling work of Christ, which is only a few days away for Christ. And so here we find now love cascading on down and Paul comes in and in Romans 12 and what is he going to say to try to get believers to establish the fact, reestablish the fact, how do you get along? How do you think about one another? Well, it's all about love, all about love. Well, spiritual gifts, okay, you've got some division of labor there. Some are teachers. Some serve, some administrate, mercy, giving, quite a list. Could you see that there could be the possibility of a little competition, maybe some jealousy? Oh, if you want to know how that worked out, read Corinthians. Not pretty. <laughs> Not pretty at all. And uh, tuck that behind your right ear. We're going to see that a little later on. And so these spiritual gifts, but Paul is saying here, but do you know something? Lest you want to take your giftedness, and you've got giftedness. Well, naturally, your DNA, whatever your parents and grandparents gave you. No, no, he's not talking solely about that. That's my spiritual gift. That the Spirit endowed you with when you became a Christian. He gave you a gift package, a gift set. Yes, you. You're not exempt. Well, what is, is that the end of the trail on the subject? No. He says that there is an importance in, these, the, in, in carrying out these gifts is the identifying mark of the Christian. He said that in John 13, didn't by this so all men know that you're my disciples, that you what? Love one another. You want the, you want the knockout punch in apologetics? Just let people see that you, how you care for one another in sacrificial love. Um, I just, a little aside here in this opening word, uh, the title of this shows up somewhere in this, uh, I don't remember if I put it in the outline or not, The Greatest Thing of the World. Um, this was actually a book that was written back in the 1800s by that title. And it was written by Henry Drummond. 
Henry Drummond was a very was a famous Christian humanist. He was he was good at on on target on a lot of things, but he went a little too far. He was got into kind of a moralism. He he thought that well, um, if the Christian virtues really implemented could save the world. Uh, okay, wait a minute. Uh, We've got to talk about that a little bit more. In Christ, in the gospel, and it lived out, certainly Christians, churches can become kind of a conscience of society. Yes. All right, with that said, can I give you a few knot holes right at the very beginning? I intend to come back to these. I, I want to mention about four or five what love is not. Now, we've got to do this. I think we do, because if you want to know what if you want to think about a word that's just absolutely everywhere, I notice I'm, I'm not advertising this uh, to have you go there, but I, I can't remember the lady's name who's going around with her concert, and uh, she's uh, kind of a Tina Turner thing. Oh, what's love got to do with it? You know that song? What love got? It used to baffle me. What do you mean? What's love got to do with what? Okay, I. Full confession here. I did a little rummaging around to see what could be driving that. I'll just hurry to this point. Could very well be the fact that, you know, in a home and the relationship between a husband and a wife, it can get pretty mean and nasty. And a husband can become quite abusive verbally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. We wish it weren't so. And so yet the husband has got a quiver in his arrow. I love you, honey. So Tina Turner says, well, what's love got to do with it? <laughs> if this is love, I'm not sure. Oh, get, you, you get the connection. All right, don't lose you there. But we got to say some things about love. Let me just briefly, I can't expand these, but I, I, I'll alert you to this right off. Love is not a mere emotion. Please, get that right. Feelings are vaporous, vaporous. Uh, just vanishes away. It's not just an emotion, but yet that, that's kind of the culture where it is. Love is not merely mental. In a reaction to the sentimentalism that characterizes our modern-day culture, there are those who want to make the, word, the truth with regard to love they would like to make it as some kind of a cold mindset. It's just, you make decisions that are sacrificial. You do the right thing, whether you feel like it or not, that's it. We're gonna correct this sentimentalism and give you the straight line on what love is. Well, it's not merely mental, not a cold mental mindset. And it is not without standards. Ooh, that's one that's really captured a lot of uh, hearts and lives that, you know, follow your heart. You've got your truth, I've got my truth. Everybody's got their own truth. And so love ends up being some kind of moral jello. Uh, that's not where we go. And mm, this is huge, especially in the romantic song world, which... This is the music, whether it's country music or pop or rap or wherever. It's not lust. Love is not just sexual satisfaction or the pursuit thereof. No. What is love? 
I like this. I came across this statement. I'm going to add a little on to it. It says, love is the circulatory system of the spiritual body, which enables all the members to function in a healthy and harmonious way. Hey, that's good. That's a useful metaphor. Do you get it? The circulatory system. It moves the blood of, I've added this, it moves the blood of truth through the body, the body of Christ. We'll come back to that a little later on. I have one more thing here that's important as a lead-in. We're still going down the runway to get onto this love is to be genuine. There is a popular way of approaching the subject of love, which uh, kind of caught on pretty heavily in Christian evangelical circles through various books, the names of which and the authors I won't trouble you with. Some of you may have read them, and then you'll be going off somewhere else to think about it. Um, but there are some words that come up in the New Testament for love. Uh, the primary one that's often agape, that's the noun, or agapao. You've heard the word. Uh, and then there's the word phileo, or phile. And then there is the word um, storge, storge. Uh, it's a word that is used with regard to family love. It's uh, the way it's presented. Uh, and then there's the word eros, eros, which is romantic, sensual love. <clears throat> well, those words are, yeah, they're words, and translated love in, inside and outside the New Testament. But the problem is, is that though there people want to attach a theological persuasion and conclusion to each of those words. Like, this word, therefore, means like agape, this, whoa, this is great A. This is the king of the mountain. That's the love. And phileo, that's friendship love. That's good, you know. And then they use illustration, you know, Philadelphia, from which the word, you know, phileo, phile. And so on it goes. I'll, I'm not trying to knock in the hat the fact that there are, there, there are different categories with regard. But you can attach something to the word. Like phileo is used of God's love at times. And uh, agape is used for, in, in, certain, in the Septuagint, it, it's used uh, for relational, uh, sensual love. In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. All I'm, I'm trying to say is that the different kinds of love can't be tied to particular Greek words, okay? Just in case you're thinking that we're talking uh, about that kind of thing. Now, will you want to dive in? Now, I'm gonna, we're going to do something uh, quite different this morning. Uh, in terms of flow of, you have your notes in the bulletin, if you take notes. Now, what we're going to do is that we're going to take part of this verse, verse 9, love is unhypocritical, then abhor what is evil, and cling to what is good. So, we're going to spend a little bit of time, um, I said, I say that advisedly, that we've got to be sure we, we unpack what this unhypocritical aspect of love is and, and, and understanding it. Um, but I've, I've decided that I would, I had a conclusion. Oh, when preachers get messages together, at least the way mine works, I want to be organized and I don't want to I don't want to be a mist in the pulpit. You know what they say. If it's a mist in the pulpit, it's a fog in the pew. Uh, and 
I want to be clear on this, that what we're going to do, I'm going to take the conclusion. I've invited a couple to come and speak to us in our conclusion. A couple of folks. I'll say they're a married couple, but they don't have to be married. Okay, hold that. Let's, uh, let's look at this first and be sure we're getting where Paul's going here on this. He says, love is genuine. It, it's not phony. It's the real thing. It's unhypocritical. I'm going to say a few things here that if you have any experience with, your, with the Bible and uh, you, you study Bibles and so forth, you'll come across this. This word hypocrite. Uh, if you can nod this way, I'll know that I'm not just overstaying time on this. Actually, the, the word means to answer under. If you took the Greek word, broke it down, it's a compound word, to answer under. I remember as a kid going to the movies. I think you can still see them in old-time movies. And Roger and I, we, we talk about old movies, where you would see over in the corner of the presentation of the movie and so forth, and you would see some mask over to the sides. Am I... You, you remember those? Well, I'm getting blank stares here. Uh, and there would be mask there. Uh, mask frowning, mask uh, smiling. Why? Because in ancient Greek drama, look, the Greeks love their drama. They love their theater. We don't have anything on them. And it was all live, no video. <laughs> it was all live. So if you wanted to come out and portray a character, as you're a good actor, you know how you can... You can be different people in different situations and different moods and dispositions and so forth. And they give Academy Awards to people who really do the best at this and make you, they fool you and pretend, because they're pretending to be somebody that they're not. And so in ancient Greece, they had these uh, people, the actors who would come out in who would have this mask. And this mask would say, I'm not happy. And this mask would say, I am happy. And whatever other emotions you could get with mask. And so the idea was, underneath the mask, you were speaking certain words. So that is, you know, you were something that you weren't, you know, in terms of theater. Well, what this word comes through as, in, as it's used here in other places, is that, um, you know, genuine love can't be faked. It can't be faked. It's not theater. It belongs to the real world, John Stott quote, quoting there. It's not theater. It belongs to the real world. Fake love is really all about me. Uh, I, I thought of a couple of things I could run by you. I don't want to, I've got to move along, but I want to pass these on. Let me just say several things about fake love. Fake love uh, it likes to use disguises. It's kind of like a masquerade party. It can fake loyalty when there is anything but loyalty going on. Fake loyalty, and then there's disloyalty. It can use affection to manipulate. To me, it's kind of like what's love got to do with it. You can use the word love, try to make up with a spouse that you've just beaten to a pulp. <laughs> so I love you, honey. And she wipes the blood off her face. <laughs> love. And uh, so it, it can use, fake love can use flattering words uh, to hide criticisms, the real thing. Fake love. And so there, there are different ways you can fake it. But it's 
getting the outside all cleaned up, the inside is not so pretty. So you can have a, you can have the greatest container that you can, your favorite container, a cup, but inside it could be something that someone had just dipped out of the sewage. That's what it is. It's the outside's clean, the inside's not so good. And <clears throat> so what hypocrisy, what it does, it tends to draw, it looks at the flaws of other people by just ignoring one's own mess inside. And <clears throat> that's, Jesus dealt with that, you know, the, the, the two by four, get the two by four out of the eye and then you can get the speck out of the other eye. That, that kind of thing, that's a, it, this fake love, lack of genuineness in love. And, but love doesn't put up these artificial fronts, not at all. You know, one of the things that I think traps us here to think that we can be, we can think that we're a loving congregation or loving people or that you've got a loving marriage, and I hope you do, but we've got a word that we use and it's the word N-I-C-E. We say, he was nice. She is so nice. That church was nice. Well, can I take a little pen and put it in that balloon? That doesn't say anything. <laughs> what, nice? Is this the virtue, the apex of what we go for? And I did find this, though. I know you can't build arguments on this, but uh, it's called etymology when you go to the root of a word. Actually, the word nice goes back through the Latin, and it, the word means ignorant. So I don't, you can play a game with that if you want to, but it, ignorance. But, uh, and I, this is not the time to go through the disordered kinds of love there is. Um, we won't go there, but here's genuine love operates through spiritual giftedness. This is why Paul brings it up. So if you've got the gift of teaching, do you love, do you love others? Or are you just doing it to just pack your informational gun? Uh, you're a teacher, are you doing it because you kind of like to let people know that you know a lot, uh, these kind of things. Or that you can, you can weaponize any of the spiritual gifts as you think about it. Because what, why does Paul bring up that fact in 1 Corinthians 13? It says the greatest of these love because you, you can exercise gifts and it can just be a, talk about a church food fight. It could really be ugly. So love, love works through the spiritual gifts. If you serve, you sacrifice sympathetically. There is, if you have the gift of administration, you're kind. You are, I don't have to push that, do I? You can see that the love, when, it is, when the gift is wrapped in love, it's motivated by it, that's, that's the important thing. Encouragement, uh, you've got the gift of encouragement. Well, you're going to welcome people as they come through the doors and that, that kind of thing. So, but love isn't focused on getting, it's giving. That ought to help if you want to check yourself quickly. Love is not in getting, but in giving. And it doesn't wear masks. I've said that already. Now, I'm going to hurry, see how I'm doing. I can do this, all right. Uh, 
what else does he say about this? You say, whoa, we would like to, could you unpack more about this love thing? Yeah, but let's do it this way. Paul then next says, abhor what is evil. Hate it. Be horrified by it. Evil ought to be like a horror movie. Ah! It just recoil. Bad. Don't want to go there. No, I don't like that. Abhor it. Hate it. Ah, come on. Let's roll up our sleeves and go after it next week. Not today. Uh, How do you hate it? Well, then he adds, hold fast. The the word in the original here is an interesting word translated hold fast. Actually, we get our word glue from it. Get glued to what is good. Now, what's good? I'll just give you the short, short answer, and we're going to work this out more later. It's it's determining, discovering what God has commanded that pleases him and doing it. Not that complicated, at least at that point. So love, therefore, we'll say, is discerning. It hates evil. It does not abuse one's spiritual gift, doesn't weaponize it, doesn't exploit others through immorality or greed or selfishness. I, you know, the, the stories of Paul's brief, brief pause, the stories that can really turn my stomach, uh, many of them do, and I see these youth directors, youth leaders, pastors even, who use their gift and personality to sexually abuse other people. They're perhaps the younger, the youth, and that kind of thing. Or pastors. Oh, there's something going around all the time about pastors who are doing this. That's awful. Not love. Be discerning. Discerning. It hates pride, lying, murder, strife, phony religion, that kind of thing. All right, now, conclusion. Well, good. He got to the conclusion real fast. Buckles, fashion your seatbelts. All right. I've got a couple, Mr. and Mrs. Love, are with us today. And you know where I'm going to go to show you how they look, what they look like? All right, here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 6. That's where we're going. Ah, now, there's more here that we can even begin to fully, we can't drill more deeply enough on these, but I think this should help us. Because I wanted us to see how love walks, how it talks, how it behaves, how it thinks. I want us to get the, let's, let's look at the real thing. The real thing. Now, I know you can do this with this, uh, with this and I've done this in my own notes where it says, love is patient, love is kind. You know what I wrote above each of these? I've got them all listed here. Jesus. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus is not jealous. Jesus does not brag. So I got to thinking of the situations in the gospel where Jesus was the perfect example of love and how he never missed, no missteps. And okay, we'll, we'll hold on to that. Oh, and there's another aspect to this. This thing is so deep and so wide. I thought about how Paul used the word love in 1 Corinthians 13 and that power punch, love is patient, love is kind, it's not jealous, it's brags, not arrogant, and so on, and so on. You know who he was writing to? The Corinthian church. You think that they make, that it could have assisted them in giving the right slant look, understanding of what was going on in their congregation? We could spend, we could handle all these just on that basis. All right, but 
with that said, let's consider these. Let's do the best we can with the time we got. First of all, he says, love's patient. Oh, let me say this. I may forget a little later on. You know what I recommend? Read, if you have, some of you already done this. Memorize this. There are 15 of these. Yes, I know, because I figured if I take two minutes on each, it'd take 30 minutes to do them. Woo! So look at this. Memorize them. Memorize them so that you can pop out of bed in the morning and just reel them off. And then think about the content of them, and that's meditating. And All right, let's go to it. Pa love is patient. Love is patient. It chooses to persist creatively when suffering at the hands of someone else. Or, put it another way, it thinks God's thoughts while waiting. Uh, that helps me to put it that way, while waiting. I can be literally waiting. A husband's waiting on his wife and want to go somewhere, and they got to be there at such and such a time. But shoot, women have more to do than men do in preparing. I know this in our own home. We say we're going somewhere. I can be ready in four minutes. Uh, and, uh, you know, I have uniforms I wear and th that kind of thing. And, but love is patient. So you, you work on yourself. Um, this, uh, because, you know, here, difficult people can be exasperating. Difficult. Oh, you know who the difficult people are? You're sitting in the same seat as one. We all are. We qualify. We can really be difficult. And okay, so therefore love's patient. Uh, it doesn't give up. All right, I'm going to move. Uh, love is kind. It displays itself by choosing to reach out to others in order to make their lives richer. It, uh, it's interested in the welfare of others. That's the kind of mindset that... that uh, characterizes this. It, it cares more for oneself than for self. That there is a concern about who I am and what I do and how I make other people's lives better, more enjoyable, more comfortable. That's the way kindness functions. As one writer put it, this world is filled with hurting, suffering people. Love is quick to speak an encouraging word quick to offer everyone a willing, outstretched hand. Yeah, that, that's love is kind. Love's not jealous. Hmm. That's word in the original language here. You can, we get our word zeal from it. It's a, it. It chooses to refuse to be resentful because someone has something that I don't. Um, question. How possessive are you? Are you do you, do you tend to really be possessive of your spouse or your children or whatever? It could be anything. And it, it doesn't want what it doesn't have. I think the message put it that way. You're familiar with that paraphrase by Eugene Peterson. It, uh, it doesn't want what it doesn't have. So it, it, closely related to this, it, it, doesn't, it does not envy. Because, you know, how content am I? That's a, that's a really a tough one. Um, we go through seasons of life, at least this, I found this to be true in my way. We go through seasons of life when God really stirs up the pot, the stuff, the lees, the stuff that kind of settles down at the bottom of the glass of the pot, and then you find out, 
I am not nearly as content as I thought I was. I was content because everything's going my way. I'm, but what this will show us is how content are we? You know, if there were more teens here, I'd really, I'd love to take these 15 and just have an audience of, of teenagers. Uh, I've not forgotten the teen years. They're still very much a part of my fresh memory. <laughs> and one of the things that teens fight with is, deal with, uh, is this matter of possession of a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Um, or it could now, it could be an iPhone. Maybe somebody's got an iPhone 13 plus and you're still working with the six or the seven. I, you could go off in those directions too. A lot of things to jealousy could come. But I would just say to the youth, and if you know youth, help them with this thing because it's you. Big middle school, whoa, you, you talk about an environment that breeds this kind of thing. Clothes that are worn, labels that are worn, Who's the in crowd? Who's not the in crowd? Who are the nerds? Who are the athletes? Who are the cheerleaders? Who are the chess players? Who are the whatever? And you can be jealous of or resist. No. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. Hmm. Um, it chooses to avoid self-promotion. It's glad when others are exalted. I'm here, I came across this. The world is filled with boasters. People who in one way or another are calling attention to who they are, how important they are, and how much they have achieved. Just turn on your television, folks. <laughs> and just, just look at the world around you and you'll see that one. Self-promotion, self-promotion. Uh, the word that's translated brag here, interesting word in the original. It means just going over the top that you just, you want people to know who you are, what your gifts are, what you can do, what you've done, your resume, that sort of thing. But love doesn't strut, no. Uh, five, love is, I you like this couple, Mr. and Mrs. Love was something. Love is not arrogant. It chooses not to indulge in power grabs. It doesn't have an inflated idea of oneself. Is the idea. Actually, the word, I keep referring to the original here. I'm not trying to show off that I know the original, but man, I can't waste six years in seminary and all life of looking through these things, trying to understand them. It comes from a word, uh, uh, the word FUSA, P-H-U-S-A, P-H-U-S-A, which was, uh, you've seen the old black, uh, blacksmith shops and the, the billows, like, that was the word. In other words, arrogance. Somebody's filled with a lot of hot air. <laughs> that's, that's the idea behind it, a self-inflation. And what has really gotten in vogue these days? You know, we have created for ourselves in a corrupted culture, we've created so much divisiveness. I mean, it, it is a political agenda. It's a philosophical agenda. To, you need to be proud of your skin color. You need to be proud of your ethnicity. You need to be proud of, and we even have one have marches come to the pride parade. Oh, how off the charts are these things when it comes to what God says about who we are and his love and what love really is? Oh, no, it's not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. 
Uh, the, the idea is, if you look at the root of this word, it means shapeless. The idea is that it chooses to treat others with respect. It has good manners. It Here, I like this source. It holds its tongue and waits for others to speak. Love listens. Oh, I need a lot of that one. Love does not dominate a social setting and will not blurt out things that wound another person. I thought that was a good way to capture this one here. It's, it's decorum. If I may, just go back to that Corinthian church, though we're in Romans, but yet this passage is from 1 Corinthians. You think that may have helped to kind of grease the wheels with the Holy Spirit's work in the life of the Corinthian church if they would have been thinking of doing things decently in order? And people weren't coming in trying to, you know, elbow, elbow their way up front or wherever or through the crowd and get the last word and be seen as important. Uh, conduct in the worship service. Good manners. Hey, I can't overstate this, but have you noticed this? How courtesy and good manners have really seemed to have gone to another planet. They've gone somewhere. Do you, have you noticed that? Okay, so well, you're just an old man. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I don't mind being, I've just lived long enough to have seen, there have been some changes. Whether it's in the checkout line, it's in the grocery store, it's in people you're dealing with on the phone, and you know, if you want to let Christ's love be seen, be respectful of other people. Be courteous. Okay, love does not seek its own. It chooses to place self above service. It chooses, excuse me, I left out a knot, that heresy. It chooses not to place self above service. Love is willing to sacrifice one's rights for the good of others. Doesn't seek its own. This would have really helped the meat problem in Corinth, and they had one in Rome as well. Paul's going to go on to address that in Romans 14 and 15, where you have the Jew believer, Jewish believers and Gentile believers, and though there were some who were offended, what? You're going to eat that meat that was dedicated to Apollo? I can't believe you would do that. Do you realize the poor testimony that is? That meat was dedicated to actually to a demon. And you, and you want us to come over and eat at your house? Hey, another time. And they were fussing and fighting over it. You think that could have helped them? Whatever, and whatever our differences could be. Um, well, thinking more, we ought to be thinking more of our responsibilities than our personal rights. Wow, does that ever go upstream, contrary to the culture? Everybody's all about rights. I've got my rights. You know, you want to stop and ask, oh, who, did, who gave those to you? Is there, a, is there a manufacturing company that issues rights and I just haven't bought mine there yet? Where, where do they come from? Well, you know, when you banish God from the worldview that you have, well, sure, you're going to be full of yourself and full of all the rights that you think you have because they're self-appointed. But this is, uh, oh, and can I can't stay here. Self-love, self-esteem. Oh my, right, number eight, love is not provoked. It's not provoked. It chooses to absorb irritations and offenses out of concern for others. It does not have a short fuse or it doesn't fly off the handle. It's not easily ticked off. And how well do you control your temper? I found this out about temper. 
uh, I realized that we all have different ways of blowing up. I know, now, you're probably thinking somebody, wow, oh, I'm glad I don't have that person's problem because they've got a story. It's not mine. But just get you, what is your hot button? Where that you really lose it? And once you do, it can be scary. Have you ever met yourself that way? I'm not going to be openly confessing here. But have you ever met yourself, it's maybe some of your worst moments, say, wow, I really lost it there. That's scary. I can do something bad, say something awful. Oh, Lord, help me. Love's not provoked. Lord, I need Christ's love in me. I need your Holy Spirit. Love, number nine, love is, um, not, does not take into account a wrong suffered. It chooses to let God keep the moral scoreboard of life. Do you, do you have a scorecard? Do you, where do you keep it? Is it up here? Where? Scorecard? Watch out. It doesn't keep statistics. Uh, here, another source, I saw this. Some people have a knack for bringing up the mistakes we have made and wounds we've inflicted even decades after. Love is not vindictive. Mm, it doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. You probably have got something. I, we all do. You've got something. Somebody's offended you. Maybe really fresh. This happened. And you're kind of nursing that thing, that grudge. You keep thinking of ways that could be a payback, maybe even some kind of a sanctified payback. Now, you've got to live a little while to figure out how to do that, but that, I'm not recommending it. <laughs> that payback, that's what they need. Then you hear that something bad happens to them, say, boy, they got theirs. Oh, we need help from the Lord. Mr. and Mrs. Love, all right, they're still with us, telling us love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Jesus didn't, certainly he did not. It chooses not to delight in the sins of others. It's not amused by wrongdoing. Hmm. It doesn't, rev it doesn't, I, I got this out of the message. I thought this was cute. It doesn't revel when others grovel. Yeah. Doesn't revel when others grovel. You know, the Corinthian to, the Corinthians to which Paul, Paul was in Rome and he wrote to the Corinthians. In the Roman, the Corinthian culture, you talk about nasty, vile, corrupt. You could Corinthianize was synonymous with the fornicate. It was just wide open. He's writing to these, and he says, "It doesn't. You don't. Are you entertained? We Americans, we can be up to our ears in this. You can hardly watch a TV program, commercial, anything." And the whole entertainment culture is just saturated with the enjoyment of immorality. Okay, I'm, I'm not here to lay down some laws for you and all this, but I can tell you that, uh, oh, Lord, purify my heart. Love does not delight in evil. Dishonest schemes, no, they're not good. And look at this one. Oh, number 11. Love rejoices with the truth. Oh, I'm going, I'm going to put it in part just a few seconds longer on this one. You know what we're up against in our culture? It's all around us that people have elevated love above truth. They say, well, we just need to love one another more and not fuss about these doctrinal differences. And we just need to love. Oh, it sounds so good. We all just love Jesus and don't quibble over doctrine. What are you thinking? 
I will tell you, that's a, that's a seminal form of heresy when you elevate that. I'll put it this way. Love as God has defined it, get this, it's conditioned, it's directed, and interpreted in truth. Truth. And without truth, love, I got this sentence from my old mentor. He's with the Lord now, dear Dr. Whitcomb. He was so clear on this. He said, without truth, love collapses into a welter of satanic sentimentalism. Love rejoices with the truth. Doesn't take pleasure in the flowering of, of truth. Uh, takes pleasure, excuse me, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Love loves the Bible. Mm. 12, love bears all things. It chooses to put up with all kinds of hardships. Mm. Am I the kind of person who runs from problems and people? I know we've probably all done that sometime or another, but you know, there are some people who make this a way of life. They run from here to there. They run from one relationship to the next. It can go a lot of ways in this disloyalty and hardships. Um, uh, I was going to say some things. I think I won't say them here. It protects the other person. It, love, it always protects. It protects children because the king knows that the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And so love puts, oh, oh, J. Vernon McGee put it this way. I just saw his note. He says, love puts up our umbrella for others. <laughs> puts up our umbrella for others, bears all things. Love believes all things. It chooses to act on those things that God says said are true. And this is not saying that you've got to believe in uh, fairy tales and, you know, look, there's too much of this naivety in evangelical circles as it is. He's not saying, oh, I believe that. I saw it. It happened. I believe it. It's not Disney World. This is not what he's saying. No, what he's saying is that it trusts God always, that kind of thing. It, it does not look for the worst because it's rooted in the sovereign reign of the providence of God. That's it. It's... I, here, this helped me. I, I thought about that resurrection truth in 1 Corinthians 15 because the Corinthians were having really, really deep problems believing in the bodily resurrection. What? You deny the bodily resurrection, you're denying the resurrection of Christ, and you deny the resurrection of Christ, everything falls down. Believes that which is true. Love hopes all things. It chooses to be confident about the future. It remains strong through testing. It, uh, do, how do I take failure? Do I take the failure of someone else as final or do I keep on working toward what should be? I've known people who really have helped me with this. I'm thankful for them and their presence in my life. But do I tend to take the, maybe you've known somebody, known somebody like that in your life and it really left some deep wounds is that they took a failure of yours at some point, and they figured, that's fine, you're out of here. Next, mm, love hopes. It doesn't give up. Love hopes for the best. It forgives, not once, not seven times. What did Jesus say? Math class, 70 times seven. That's where it, that's how it functions. Love's not even counting. Love endures all things. 
I should not stop loving. Never gives up. It can outlast hate, evil, indifference. It's willing to undergo hardships and dashed hopes. Do I live with my bags packed? And uh, I'm just, uh, I've got this conditional relationship. And you know, it can be used as kind of a, a weapon. Because if somebody or people around me and I think they care for me, if they will know that I'm not necessarily going to stay with you or hang in there and help you, that I'm going to tell you to it's my way or the highway, that can become quite of a powerful emotional, a manipulative point. Because the others think, well, wow, I, you know, this person got some good qualities, and oh, don't go there, don't create that monster that. Uh, Oh, Lord, give us the grace not to bail out in hard times. Thank you, folks. Can I say this personally? I'm thankful for everyone I'm looking at this morning in a special way. You know why? Because you've not bailed out in hard times. I don't know your heart. You don't know mine, but I can tell you this. I'm so thankful. And it really helps me to put one foot in front of the other in certain ways that you've not bailed out in hard times. Thank you. Thank God for his grace. This God gets the glory. Because he does things in us that surprise us. Lord, you've enabled me. Okay, that's Mr. and Mrs. Love. Thank you for the guest. The parents, they're here, they're gone. No, they don't need to be gone. Let's pray that God would work this truth. And I want to end with this. I want to put the hammer down hard on this nail. Do you know why we can love like this? It's because God loves us like this. God loves us like this. Jesus loves us like this. And because he does, it's just pipeline, pipeline. And it just flows out. God's love flows out of us and through, through us and to others. And God gets the glory. And it's because he put his son on that awful, cruel cross, splintered, filled cross with cruel nails piercing the flesh, blood dripping to the ground. On that cross, half naked, spat upon, ridiculed, denied, hated, vilified. His reputation was soft. They sought to just, just totally destroy it. And he was there because he loves us. And I can't love. I can't love. Oh, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit who said, you said who poured out your love in me in Romans in 5. Let's pray. Oh, God, I pray if there's one this morning who has not put his or her trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If they, Lord, are without you and have not experienced the lavishness of your love and forgiveness and reconciliation, oh God, oh, may they come to you for forgiveness and eternal life. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's sing as we conclude.